Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, this summer, of course, the headlines have been completely dominated by COVID and indeed then the culture war and particularly Black Lives Matter. But there's another issue which has been bubbling away and causing many people a lot of concern. As of this month, September, there's going to be new compulsory sex and relationship education in our state schools and this is dividing opinion and indeed it's causing a fair amount of controversy but a lot of people won't even really know what it contains what actually it means what they should be worried about and that's what we're going to be discussing today on counterculture and with me i have some great guests to talk about it first of all there is belinda brown who is a journalist and campaigner. Caroline Fisk, who is a former Conservative councillor and journalist. Susan Mason, who is founder of the School Gate campaign. The Reverend Linda Rose, who is also CEO of Voice for Justice UK. And Ben Lochnane, who is a theologian and communications consultant. So thank you very much for coming, uh, everybody. Um, Belinda, could you start by just explaining, you know, what actually this actually means? What what is being introduced that is new? Um, well, the government has made relationships and sex education compulsory um, throughout school from primary school onwards. Um, but there are and and there are there are sort of three different ways of looking at this. On one hand, there's the law which has been set up. And, it, and if you read it, the law on relationships and sex education sounds fairly okay. You, you, there's nothing particularly objectionable to it. Can I ask you, by the way, what it says then at the moment? Uh, there's, there's to, to be honest, I think this will emerge during the course of the discussion because okay. there are so many different elements to it. There's really, there's really quite a lot. And also following from this, there's the um, education department guidance. So that's what they've done with the law, which um, is, is kind of, um, you know, it's, it's okay. But, but the real problem is that there's actually no specific curriculum. So there have been a whole host of educational providers, a really wide range, have got in on the act and uh, uh, pr produced a whole lot of material for schools. This is obviously a very lucrative business because schools have to buy into this. And um, it's, it's in this wide range of materials that the really serious problems arise. Now, there are a few, um, I think, key points which I should make, and that is that schools are obliged to consult parents about what they're going to teach their children. And actually, it's now been delayed till the beginning of the summer term in order to allow enough time for consultation. Right. And it is part of the law, you know, the UN law, and that that schools are obliged to take the um, values of parents. They, they must respect the values and, and religious values of parents. So the schools are obliged to do this. And schools are also not allowed to sort of teach ideology, things from a particular ideological angle. Um, and I should also say that in primary school, the sex education is um, 
not compulsory um, and um, in, in secondary school um, relationships and you put it differently you can withdraw your you can withdraw your child from sex education in primary school you can withdraw your child and in secondary school you can withdraw your child um, from sex you, you, sex education I think it's up until their GC the, the year of their 15th birthday or right. something like that right. but to be perfectly honest these things are fairly meaningless because the material gets into the curriculum in other ways and I have actually attended a sex education forum seminar webinar where they said you know this material if they don't get it through sex education they'll get it in the sciences or they'll get it in in the health part of the pshe curriculum so it's very difficult actually to withdraw your child from any of this material but they must consult you and that is a key thing to take home schools must consult parents mm. I don't know you you mentioned you mentioned uh, there that it's in the law that schools have to respect par parents' values and things. How exactly is that actually enforced? I mean, how how do we know that they are? Do you know? Um, well, no, we, we don't know that they are. Um, and schools have, um, for example, with sex education, which has been in schools for many years now, um, primary schools do not have to provide it, but they, they may do. Uh, and as Belinda says, uh, parents can withdraw from primary. They have a right to request withdrawal in secondary now, as of this September. They don't have an automatic right of withdrawal. Um, but what we've um, seen there is there was a, um, a legal obligation to consult parents there, for example. And Ofsted has observed how um, schools do not, they're not very good at consulting with parents no, about sex no. education. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's on the record that they're basically, they are not um, fulfilling their legal obligations on that level and I can't see how it's going to be much better with relationships education. Yes, Did you, is that something Caroline that you recognise? I mean, I think, yeah, I think for me the main point is Belinda's point that where parents have a right to withdraw, mm. most parents won't, most parents trust schools. And, and so they should, they should be able to trust our schools. What this reform has done is it's opened up a gateway really. And I would say 10, 20 years ago, that might've been fine. For some reason, the era in which we live, there's a whole lot of organizations keen to push various things through this, this gateway. I would say sexualization, um, a sort of sexualization that most adults don't agree with and then gender identity ideology I think is the thing that um, most of us are concerned about and there are many organizations producing materials that push gender identity ideology through into schools and onto school children primary from four years old upwards I think that's what most of us are concerned about. Mm. Is this something that concerns you about? Well, for me, the main concern isn't necessarily the content of the sex education uh, curriculum, though that is, of course, a, a major issue. My concern is the overreach of the state, and certainly through schools, into what should be the domain of the family. So this is something that should naturally be happening within families. And the state taking it upon themselves to educate your children about what they ideologically believe about, for example, transgenderism. You know, that is not their job. Their job is to educate. It's, you know, the three R's would be probably a lot more valued. But we're now not teaching what should be taught and teaching a lot of what doesn't need to be taught. 
And it, for me, that is very confusing. What is, the, what is the function and what is the purpose of a school in this case? Is it to teach children or is it to teach them how to learn and, and, and you know, lead them towards knowledge so that they have a love for learning? Or is it about indoctrinating them and making sure that they're right on and agree with every government edict? And I think it's the latter, unfortunately. Which is what you're mention. saying, isn't it, Caroline, really? That basically what you're saying is that the times have changed. Mm -hmm. Essentially, something that might have been okay yeah. is now basically, it's almost like a portal through things can come, isn't it? It's right? a portal, and <laughs> there's a, a large number of groups who have long been gearing up for it, producing the resources, um, telling primary school children that um, there's no such thing as biological sex, that sex is a spectrum. It's not. There are two sexes. Mm. Telling primary school children that they all have an inner gender identity, which is unaligned to biological sex. Um, telling, I've got one here. Don't judge or make assumptions about people's gender because of what they look like. Mm. Telling a primary school child, a little girl, that she can't go up to another little girl mm. and assume she's a girl. Mm. It's utterly unscientific and it's dangerous. But you see, something like that, where does that come from? Where, who's providing that? You can hold yeah. it up if you like. So this yeah. is not a little LGBT plus group. This is actually from um, Bernardos, the children's <laughs> charity. Mm. Not only that, this is on a portal which says this is authorised by the government authorities office. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's just everywhere. Um, this, this, the, the website where this is basically says this has been endorsed by the government. Just one more thing, because yes. I know you all want to go on. Gender identities. Sometimes our gender identity matches our assigned gender, the gender we were told we were when we were born. So in other words, we're not yeah. male and female. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This male and female is mm. not in our DNA. It's something we were told we were when mm. we were born. So Utterly unscientific, gaslighting little children who should be able to feel comfortable in their bodies and in their sex. You've, you've actually, haven't you, Belinda, done a lot of looking at the sort of various different information, <coughs> educational, uh, mm. you know, basically tools that are produced by these outside bodies. How does it actually work? You know, if you've got like the local authority or the school, so what, do they tender out, you know, as it were, to get people to come in and, and put their sort of like wares down, say, oh, you know, we, oh yes, we'd like you to supply this material or that material. How does it work? I have to be honest, I don't exactly know how it works. I know, for example, that one of the organisations that's massive in producing this stuff is Stonewall. And Stonewall is actually funded by the government. And they are at the front line of producing this material. And uh, 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 I think it's at Parent Power, we, we've actually listed, they've actually listed all the, all the schools that they know of that, that have Stonewall resources. But I, I, think it I think the schools are making individual decisions. I mean, local educational authorities might try to influence schools, but it is up to schools mm -hmm. to choose their materials. And I suspect that it's whichever bodies are sort of getting there first. And if you think about an organisation like Stonewall, that, that has a, you know, that has a reputable name. But if you actually look at their material, what, mm. what, they're, what they're teaching children goes against every um, safeguarding principle 
um, you know, it, it, it's it, it's very serious. And also against science. I and, mean, and against science. So you send your children yes. to school to learn and they're taught this strange pseudoscience about what is effectively Gnosticism, you know, yes. I, I, the spirit of some strange whatever inhabits my my body but the body does not match it. That is effectively paganism. Mm. And they're going to these schools, they're effectively woke madrasas now rather than actual mm. real schools, mm. and they're learning nonsense. Mm. They're better off not going to school at all. I, yeah, I ver and I very much agree with your point that the state shouldn't be interfering with, with this level of private yeah. life. You know, what the, the, the family should be free from state interference. We all have different beliefs and, and different principles and politics within our families and we should be allowed to preserve this. But, yeah. the, but the state is coming in and, and trying to shape that. Well, and that is exactly what I have an issue with. It's, it's almost Soviet, isn't it? The way that the yes. state is saying your children are not your children. They are the children of the state and they'll be taught the state's values That's before right. the family's values. And that, that is a huge precedent to set. The moment where the children are no longer answerable firstly to their parents and then to their school, but answerable first to the school and the state. Um, Linda, can I ask you, one, when, when sex education, like when I was growing up, you know, when, when it was discussed what should be allowed, what shouldn't, um, it, the, the point was always made, and quite, quite often from people, uh, religious people, that there should be a moral framework to it. Um, is that what is entirely lacking now, or there doesn't appear to be any kind of moral framework at all? I think you've put your um, finger on a very uh, good point here. When educa sex education was first introduced, the idea was to protect children, to give them the information that would uh, protect them against getting STIs, and to lower the teenage pregnancy rate. And it was very much within a moral frame. So it was taught within the context of the family. But the problem now is that that emphasis has totally shifted. So we're told that the aim of the new regulations is to prepare children for life in modern Britain so that they learn to be inclusive and tolerant of all the different lifestyles. And the whole idea of there being a moral frame has completely gone because this is somehow judgmental. So the emphasis now is on teaching children the how-to of sex and relationships, but without any kind of frame of reference that they might uh, consider anything about personal restraint or how this is going to affect them or others. And on the coattails of that, children are being taught um, highly sexualized concepts that they are far too young to cope with. So in relationships education from age three, would you believe, um, the encouragement is to teach children about same-sex families. So they've got picture books, they've got all sorts of things. This doesn't come under sex education, it comes under relationships education and health education. But the problem is you start telling a child of three about you know, same-sex families and they're saying, well, what's the difference? And so immediately you have to start talking about mummies and daddies and how two mummies or two daddies are a bit different because they don't have a biological mummy or a daddy there. It's, you know, somehow different. So you're beginning to make children question things that actually Temperamentally, they just accept. They're not going to question that. And the same with, um, you know, now teaching children that gender is a matter of choice, not biology. 
a child of two has a very clear idea of the physical sexual differences between, you know, little boy looks like a little boy, little girl looks like a little girl. But it is well established that until around the age of seven, many children do not have an established idea of gender. So now we're teaching children that from, again, age three, four, five, you can choose what gender you want to be. They have no way of processing what that actually means. So of course, that is going to be deeply um, confusing and destabilizing. And this is one of the root causes of why we are seeing so many referrals now for gender dysphoria. Of course, they have gender dysphoria because they actually they just have no idea what it is. They, they don't know how to cope with what it is they're being taught. So the main problem is that these concepts are being brought in that actually they shouldn't be bothering about at this age. And they, these concepts are being brought in by activists who are seeking to promote an agenda. And people have already mentioned Stonewall and mermaids and people. These are overtly political organizations whose aim is to normalize and promote LGBT values. They are not concerned at heart with um, child protection or their best interests and welfare and safeguarding of children. Their main concern is actually promoting and normalizing the LGBT values. And this is having a devastating effect actually on our children. So it is, um, we're the wrong way round. And just coming back to the parental right of withdrawal. Okay, in primary, they have an absolute right of withdrawing children from sex education, and there's no obligation to teach sex education at all at primary level. But at secondary level, this right has effectively, it's been removed because it's now become a right of request, subject to agreement by the head teacher. And this is just such an abuse of parental rights and an abuse of children because parents have an absolute right under law to have children educated in line with their beliefs. And there is an absolute right in law to have religion upheld and protected. And these, under the new guidelines, the new teachings, this is completely being traduced. Mm. Um, we actually have, a, there was quite a good uh, instance of this. I don't actually know that it's still going on, but you know the case in Birmingham uh, with the new teaching at the schools in Birmingham and there were religious groups, mostly uh, Muslim outside, who are objecting to it. Where do you stand on, on that, Caroline? Where, you know, who would you line up with in that situation? Do you know, I mean, now that's a difficult question. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I would have to line up with the parents. Mm -hmm. um, parents have a right to teach their children these intimate and important subjects at the time that those parents want to teach it. But I would also just add that it could well be that these Muslim families wouldn't have objected to straightforward facts. As I understand it, they wouldn't have objected to children being taught that homosexuality exists. It's the whole gender identity ideology that's being overlaid on that and the explicit sexual information that's also being piled on top. Is that what it, it was in the, the case of that, of the Birmingham? I'm well, not... the, the parents that I'm in contact with yeah. say, absolutely. They're happy, 
I would say, for reality to be taught and for science to be taught. Mm. But this new agenda is unscientific and it's transgressive. And there are many gay people who are joining groups like the LGB Alliance who say that the people most vulnerable to being worried that they're, you know, a child worried that they've been born in the wrong body through this teaching is little girls or boys who, who are little girls attracted to other little girls. So I'm not a lesbian, I'm in the wrong body. And off they go on a conveyor belt to, you know, I'm, I'm trans and I should have my breasts removed and I should go on cross sex hormones. The so a lot is, of gay mm, people are mm, against this agenda mm, as well. Yes. I mean, I think, could you give us an idea, Belinda, of, you know, you, you can be as detailed as you like, but what are the kind of things that are, you know, obviously Caroline's already mentioned a few things there, in these materials that can be supplied in the service of, the, of sex education? Okay, well, um, I've studied this material quite a lot, and an underlying idea is the idea, it's, it's called challenging heteronormativity. And in order to challenge heteronormativity, you've got to move away, and, and they're quite explicit about this, I can quote, it's not, it's from books. They need to move away from the association with reproduction. They're, they're trying to move away from the association between sex and reproduction. And what they want to emphasise is sexual pleasure mm. and sex positivity. Since we have been human, we have kept this to the bedroom. There's a reason for this around privacy and dignity. The agenda here has gone so far. It's beyond... It's, it's the, the agenda here really is now transgression mm. and you have to ask why w why do you think it is um, Susan um, yeah I, th I think this has been sort of in the pipeline for a long time I think you will let's take the 60s for example and the, the, the sexual revolution and so forth but there has been um, I think with certain groups a, a deliberate intention to undermine traditional family marriage and so forth and um, uh, so, so this is uh, ideal um, for them. So it, it is, I think, a, a family-breaking uh, agenda, ultimately, um, and a, a marriage-breaking agenda. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're, you're right that these things are, um, uh, let's say, they were called trans, trans, transgressions. Um, and I just feel for the children, as I think Linda was saying, um, you know, children are gradually understanding the separate nature of reality and what's imagined over several years. So to talk about them, uh, talk with them about um, gender, for example, is crazy because, you know, as m one of my interviewers said, um, at that age her daughter thought she was a unicorn. You know, I mean, it's mm. absolutely <laughs> crazy to then talk about, oh, well, you know, you're a girl or a boy. And at 30% of those who are um, being referred to... Um, the Tavistock Clinic are in the on the autism spectrum. So, and how well do they understand what they're electing yeah. to do? But it seems to me that there are two uh, 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 topics here, in a way uh, that you can't n not get away with them being interlinked. Really, yes. you're talking about the Tavistock Clinic, and you know? mm. I think the trans issue, all of that, is actually something which has sort of almost come on top of all of this. I mean, we're we're talking about what children should and shouldn't be taught mm. sexually and everything. The trans issue, and I agree with what you're saying. You know, for example, if you've got an effe rather effeminate boy or very tomboyish girl, in the past, the old mm. liberal tradition would be, well, why shouldn't she be a tomboy and everything? And if she grows out of it, 
Whereas the now, stays with it. now, mm-hmm. now it is absolutely she must be mm-hmm. actually a boy in a girl's body. You know, mm-hmm. so it's actually become almost more conservative in that way. I mean, this is the extraordinary. Well, thing. as I say, gay people call it the erasure of gay people. That you'll sort of find some private girls' schools now where there's no lesbians left. They're all trans men. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, people are talking about homosexual erasure in this. Mm-hmm. Can I just say, um, in the No Outsiders program, which we mentioned earlier, that was uh, in Birmingham, and it continues to be in Birmingham schools, for primary school children, um, you have got a lesson that basically says that if you are if you are a primary school child, seven or eight, and you have some sort of affection for your same-sex friend, that you are gay. And that is just, you know, that's completely misleading. It's killing friendship as well, isn't it? Yes. Because you, you feel something for a so friend, and you, you, at that age you can't really understand complex emotions. Mm. But your teacher's telling you, oh, no, that means you're, you know, you have these sexual sort of desires, as it were. Mm. A child doesn't have any sexual desires. No. Why? What, what is the insistence to sexualise children? It, to yes. me, strikes me as being a bit paedophilic, this entire mm. sort of agenda. It's why the obsession with sexualising children. I think this is the key question, I think. You know, what what what's behind this? What's it yeah. for? What would you, uh, Linda? What would you like to see? I mean, what what would your ideal be? Uh, do you mean in sex and relationships education? Yes. Or? I mean, if you could choose how. Um, well, I think everybody wants to uh, protect children. Um, I mean, that has to be sort of top priority. So they need to be taught about. Um, I think the basics of relationships and um, how to combat, you know, and to defend themselves against uh, um, bullying and abuse of all kinds. But there shouldn't be any um, sexualized teaching. I don't think sexual concepts ought to be introduced at all. And I mean, just coming back to what the other speakers, um, um, people were saying, we're seeing a huge rise in schools at the moment of child on child um, sexual abuse. And again, um, apparently the, the police are saying this is sort of, um, it's quite shocking the numbers of referrals that they're getting. There should not be any kind of teaching that makes children sexually aware prematurely. Any sort of teaching should be just about valuing themselves and respecting themselves and being able to um, say no and to save sex. You know, that, that would be um, uh, a very useful way of teaching to teach children that they're all very very special and that they uh, are going to damage themselves if they um, enter into promiscuous relationships from the age of 11 as they are being encouraged to at the moment so children need to be taught the risks that will come from uh, promiscuity um, they need to be taught the health risks they need to be taught about these stis that they're going to open themselves up to they need to be taught too that they can open themselves up to far worse and one of the things we're say, seeing with the promotion of um oral and anal sex is the related cancers and these really are skyrocketing the rates at the moment children must be taught the risks so that they can assess it for themselves but at the right age appropriate time so that would be what secondary school would that would that be would that be secondary school? Would, what, what is the appropriate time? Say eleven, twelve. I personally don't think it should really be taught so much because, you know, for for years before this, and certainly now, when every child has Google, 
they're going to ask these questions at some point naturally and when it happens naturally they have the resources available to find the answers to the questions they have mm. or they'll go to someone they trust you know a family member an older sibling or you know whoever and they'll ask the questions yeah. I think trying to force it on children at a certain age with so much ideology sort of poisonous ideology attached to it you know a lot of effectively Marxist ideology being threaded into what is you know paraded as, as sex and relationships education but w what is really about breaking down their idea of the family and certainly mm -hmm. you know when this was introduced it was about stopping teenage pregnancies but now the curriculum is all about sex isn't just for reproduction it's about pleasure so you're detaching the relationship for people between sex and reproduction so that sense of ah I don't want to get someone pregnant so I, I won't do this I'll, you know that sort of thing when you focus entirely on the pleasure side of things and you don't actually talk about reproduction you say oh it's not about reproduction children are going to get a sense of oh well it's fine there's no consequences and then you're going to get a, a skyrocket. But I mean, in a way, isn't this sort of like locking the gate, up, you know, way after the horse is bolted in the sense that you could say that reproduction and sex were sort of separated when the pill was invented? C mm. Couldn't you? I mean, you could go back as far as that, 1965, was it? Mm. I mean, one of, one of the arguments that sort of our opponents w would make is, well, you know, children are seeing all this pornography anyway. Well, I was we about to go on to and, pornography, and, 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 actually, yeah, but the and, fact is, you, you know, yes. Ben talked about Google and, 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 yes. and yeah. what they can find out. The fact is, you can go onto your phone now and see the most extreme porn um, without any filter. I believe but there was a, a survey about the first, the age at which people are first exposed to pornography, and it's somewhere between 9 to 12 years old, So, which I think is disgraceful, but... They, they probably already know this stuff. But I, th I, think if, I think there's an assumption that we, we should be guided by the children. This is very much prevalent mm. in the material. It's like we've given up. But actually, I think we are in a position where we can guide children. I mean, for example, if we explain to children the consequences of watching pornography, I mean, if you tell young boys, look, when you get too much into pornography, you actually find that you excuse me to be so graphic, but you can't maintain an erection when you're in a relationship with a yeah, woman. No, no, this no, this no, is no, the no, real, no. this is the reality of it, is that young men who become too hooked on pornography actually find it more difficult um, having, you know, sexual relationships with, with, with a real person. And mm. I think that if you tell young people of the risks, you know, if you tell young girls that... Um, when you when you have a sexual relationship with someone, when you then split up, this is this is really devastating, and and it's quite interesting because actually there are real physiological changes which which happen through the the sexual act, and they they mean that actually you're quite traumatized when you break up. If you if you tell young people this, if you tell them, you know, maybe it would be better to read a book than masturbate or whatever. You know, I, I think you can actually guide them out of these habits. You know, yes, all this stuff is available, and I think, I mm. think if we tell them of the risks, actually children would be interested in this. They they want to know, and they they say that they want to know more about relationships. So let's tell them the dangers of you know early sexual debut, of of getting too hooked on pornography, which can follow on from getting too involved with masturbation. All of these things are being mm. encouraged. So I think we can guide children away from this. Can I just uh, put in the idea that, I mean, basically, there is this view, again, entirely anecdotal, actually. I've got no data for it. But mm. that, in fact, younger people are, I hasten to say word Puritan, 
but younger people are far more abstemious than maybe the generation or the one before that. I think Do you hold with that view? They're less sexually active, I think, yeah. but I'm not sure about if they're more innocent. I think they're actually just numbed to it, and it's partly to do with the sex education, because when you have a teacher telling you all this stuff, it sort of takes the fun out of it really doesn't it it's you know if it's on the curriculum you, you get bored of it <laughs> you know oh, it all you've, you've seen it all. That, well, anyway. I'm not completely but I'm saying I'm saying that it, it, it's not it's no longer something which is private it's no longer and, rebellious yeah it's no longer rebellious it's sort of it's been mainstreamed and you know when it's when people have access to all sorts of pornography anything they can imagine or even things beyond their imagination um, their appetites change I think in you know but I, I think even if Nevertheless, damage is still done. Mm. Um, I think, again, I just go back, as you say, some of these things we didn't ever think we would need data on. Um, humans just held them to be true. Uh, people didn't generally look on each other performing sexual acts. We've become human as we've developed a sense of privacy and dignity. Mm. Um, so I actually think it's incredibly damaging, not just for people to look at the online porn, I actually think it's damaging for a bunch of 13-year-olds to sit around in a group discussing what they might do with a tongue and an anus. Mm -hmm. It's not liberating, mm -hmm. it's damaging. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have any, uh, I think probably I know the answer to this, but do you have any talk with the idea that this is good intentions? Um, it's interesting reading the um, uh, relationships and sex education regulations. Um, there are actually just the four points. I can't remember them. Sorry, I can't sort of reel them off from memory. But um, they look very innocent. And um, then there was an, an added um, point before it actually passed through into law. And um, it's just always oh, things like, well, you know, um, what are the characteristics of healthy relationships? at one point, you know, uh, and how, you know, if, if you have a, a poor relationship, it can maybe be damaging for your, for your health and your well-being. You know, that was point two or, you know, the, something like that. Um, and you think, well, that's fine. But you could also say um, that's an act of parliament. Surely, since, you know, um, human race has existed, parents have explained those things to, the, to their children anyway. So um, why is, and we've had different family configurations as well, mm. you know, maybe you know, a child has lost one or two parents and has to go and live with a grandparent or an aunt or something, you know, mm. or whatever. Um, and um, we've always had those sorts of uh, family configurations, but now, all of a sudden, um, we need a curriculum mm. for children in school. Mm. Uh, it's as if parents ha overnight have lost the capacity to explain these things mm. to their children. There's no evidence for that, and there's certainly no evidence that this curriculum going into primary and secondary schools is any better. Mm. Can I just say that yeah. um, I don't think anyone knows who first said it, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think possibly Gavin Williamson had good intentions, but I'll just read something out. Mm -hmm. I think the good intentions have sort of been swamped by a tidal wave. Um, this is again, uh, We're talking about the education secretary yes, now. Yeah. Yes, so this is the sheet for schools. Um, for example, avoid saying men or boys penises. Just say penis. Can we all understand why? I mean, imagine teaching boys and girls about sex education and not being willing to say that men and boys have penises. Mm. Um, so this is no longer 
to make... Mm. I mean, the idea that there was a trans child in the class anyway, the mm. chances of that, this mm. is now, like, di bodily disassociation. Mm. Um, it's no longer just breakdown of family. This is kind of transgression of how we are human, of scientific yeah. reality. So I think the good intentions have long since been lost mm. in the tidal wave. Well, Linda, you had something to say, though. Because I, I, I think there is also this difference between the government, which you know isn't great but isn't as mm. bad but it's the mm. it's the materials coming in through through the through this process and having studied them there really is the whole challenging heteronormativity agenda i mean i've i've studied the academic there is an ideological push um, whether you call it queer theory or challenging heteronormativity, it's why you can read through all the academic literature. And this has very specific aims. They want to move away from traditional ideas of mm. marriage. They want to, to break away, or they want to move away from marriage altogether as we understand it. They want to break the assumption links between parents and they want to get away from the assumption that heterosexuality is normative um, they want to break the links between parenthood and reproduction they want to break the links between reproduction and sex they want to break the binary assumption of male and female this this is all clear and documented mm. in the literature and then if you follow and look at some of these sex education materials they're simply reflecting this ideology so you know, I, I don't call that well-intentioned, but that no. is a certain group of people's view of what an ideal world looks like. So from their point of view, it's well-intentioned. From my point of view, they're imposing their ideology on the rest of us. It's not know. just ideology, it's actually Orwellian. It's sort of removing any sense of something which is observable. So, you know, a penis can't be male or female. It's a, a woman can have a penis because someone with a penis can identify as a... It's effectively doing what Orwell talked about mm -hmm. and removing people's sense of reality so that they're more likely mm -hmm. to, you know, conform and be told ideas which aren't, don't ring true, but their sense of what's right and wrong has been so shattered by this ideology at a very young age, 11 to 13, uh, when they're at an age where they are absorbing everything and they trust their teachers to tell them the truth. And you remove their sense of reality and when they grow up they're not going to have any sense of discernment whatsoever. Mm. And it's very worrying that they're doing that. Well, look, I mean, this is sort of like now in, isn't it? This new, this, as we speak, I think. This is, program's going out in mid-September. Um, thank you very much for an interesting discussion. Thank you very, very much, uh, Reverend Linda. Thank you. Um, and um, we will uh, be back next week uh, with another counterculture, but uh, much food for thought here. Okay, so thank you very much indeed. Bye-bye.